want to start by saying good morning to everyone. Um, happy Father's Day to the fathers who are out there. Um, it's also the first day of summer, the summer solstice today. So it's the longest day of the year for sunlight. But this morning we're here to celebrate another son, and his name is Jesus. And so that's what we're going to do. Um, Jesus in Mark's gospel has this healing where a man who is blind comes to him, and Jesus does something pretty strange if you read it. He takes some saliva, he puts it on his fingers, and he puts it into the man's eye sockets, and he asks the man, can you see? And the man says, I can see, but I can't see clearly. The, the people look like trees for some reason. And I, I think that some of us have been touched by Jesus but the way we're looking at the world and the way we're looking at the Word is unclear because we're not wearing the right glasses. We haven't been fully in tune to what God wants us to see. In that same passage, Jesus does something the same thing again. He takes more saliva, he puts it on his fingers, and he puts it in the man's eye sockets, and suddenly the man can see clearly. And that's my prayer for us this morning. That as we gather together as God's people, that the Holy Spirit brings into focus the essential element to what it means to be a Christian in our culture today. So let's pray. Father, we come before you this morning. You are the good Father. You have given us so many good gifts. And we look around and we see family and friends surrounding us, Lord, and we just say you are good and you are great and your mercies endure forever. And so this morning as we come before you and we come to your word, we invite Holy Spirit come in great measure. Would you fill this place with your goodness, your joy. Inspire us, Lord, to be the people that you have called us to be. In Jesus' name, amen. Matt asked me uh, to teach. Matt's gone for the next couple weeks on a well-deserved family vacation. And he asked me to teach on a passage that at first glance I thought, I haven't done a lot of that. It's uh, Colossians 2.15. And uh, I think we got a slide for that. Colossians 2.15 says this, And having disarmed the powers and authorities, He made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them by the cross. So I look at that and I think, oh, disarming the powers and authorities. What do you want to say to us, Lord? We had this great conversation last night at my home on the back patio. And a lot of it was revolving around this conversation. What does it look like in today's culture to be faced with powers and authorities in the spiritual realm? The New Testament refers to Satan as the prince of this world. Jesus himself assumes that the entire world is under the power of the evil one and that Satan is the god of this world. And thus, the, the strong man, the enemy, he needs to be tied up before his house can be plundered. And Satan, in this kind of tyrannical reign that he has, this power or control that he has, is mediated through a vast army of these demonic beings, his henchmen, his minions, whatever you want to call them, or whatever the Bible refers to them as. And Jesus came, it says in Scripture, to tie up the strong man. Plunder his house. And in the process, both Satan and the demonic beings under his control were disarmed 
but they haven't been completely eliminated. You see, the kingdom of God, what Jesus came to do to set this in motion, the kingdom of God and our spiritual regeneration in the kingdom is established, and we have that victory through the cross, but we still have to contend with what was put into motion, with with the enemy, with the the, the strong man, so to speak. Yes, he's been tied up, but he's he's loosed. He's, He's still affecting disorder. Now the kingdom of God is, is advancing, it continues on, and the church is right there in the mix, but it's advancing into and overthrowing the illegitimate kingdom that is now in place. This one that Satan was in control over. Throughout the Gospels, Jesus is constantly casting out demons, and the height of His ministry at the cross, that's the moment in which He triumphs over, over them. That's what our verse this morning is talking about. He triumphs over them at the cross and he brings victory into the world. And this is the means by which the strong man was tied up and his kingdom was fatally damaged, if we want to call it that, though it continues to fight on. It continues to wage war. And this then is where we, as believers, as people in the church today, find ourselves. We find ourselves in this battle and we have to engage in it. We have to understand our role in it. We have to be smart. We have to keep our eyes open. What I want us to focus on this morning is a couple of things. We understand that we're to partner with Jesus in seeing the kingdom of God advance and overtake the dominion of darkness in all of its forms. I think we would all agree to that. Knowing that the victory has been won will be completely fulfilled in the new heavens and the new earth when Jesus comes back. But we need to see what is happening right now. We need to maybe have our eyes opened a little bit to what's going on. And to do that, I want to use a couple of other verses that talk about this same type of thing. The first one's in Ephesians chapter 6. This is a famous passage. We've read it before. You've heard of the armor of God. And and I'm not going to go through the whole armor of God. That's not my point this morning. But I want to use it to illustrate this, this battle that we're in. Just finally, be strong in the Lord and in His mighty power. Put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. Paul's talking to the church in Ephesus 2,000 years ago. He's talking to a church that is in the dominant multicultural environment, the dominant political environment of that age. Military economic powers of Rome. Greece with soft power to influence people's minds still in the Hellenic world. All kinds of different beliefs swirling around. Egyptian religions are still strong. Judaism in all of its forms still present, going strong. And Paul is speaking to the church in Ephesus in that context in which he is speaking, outlines that a life of faith is one in which there is struggle. There is a battle that a stand must be taken, that we are called to take a stand. He says in the next verse, for our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Absolutely prophetic. Absolutely prophetic in the first century. Absolutely prophetic today 
in the 21st century. Prophetic now, prophetic in a world in which it's returning to the tribal, the group versus this group versus that group. Who's in and who's out? Who's to blame? Who's innocent? Who's at fault? Which looks across at ideas and sees not necessarily ideas, but sees human faces in which to blame troubles on, in which to blame the problems of our culture on. Where instantly we know our enemies, who our enemies are, the people different to us. And it's not just happening in the United States, it's happening across the world. Paul says in this verse that our enemy is not human. Not flesh and blood, which is easy to blame. You can see flesh and blood. You can reach across this room. You can touch flesh and blood. You can touch other people. So humans are there and they're easy to blame. But Paul is saying a different dimension is going on here. It's a different dimension that we're called to look at. What he's saying is there's this foreground. And the foreground is the human ground. The foreground is this place in which we can see people. We can see other people around us. We can walk on the street and we can see what other people are doing and what they look like and all of that. That's the foreground. And in this room that we sit in this morning, there's sociological human dynamics occurring. We've got mothers and fathers. We've got sisters and brothers. We've got people who are in school. We've got people who are at work. We've got little babies growing up. There's sociological differences even in this room. Our world's all about that. The physical, the external, the evidence, the material. We, we consider ourselves enlightened to understand that through that lens. And as believers, we also know that there's this background. So that's the foreground. There's this background. That behind that, we believe in this God. We believe in the God creator, the one creator God of the universe. The God who comes into the world, who makes the world. The God who sends His Son. Who makes everything right again. God who sends His Son to restore what was broken, what was fallen. But where where Paul goes next is really an interesting place, and that's what we're going to focus on this morning. Because he's talking about a middle ground. He's talking about this middle ground that is essential to understanding what's really going on in our culture today. So our struggle is not against flesh and blood. Who is it against? It's against the rulers and the authorities, he says. Well, that makes it easy, right? It's the president. It's the new administration. It's the old administration. It's the kings and queens of the world. It's the the European Union. It's the UN. It's the G7. It's China. And China's Belt Belt Road Initiative. It's going to wipe out the economic power of the United States in the next 10 years, supposedly. No, it's not those kinds of rulers that Paul is talking about. Not human, not against flesh and blood, because it's against the powers of this dark world and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realm. And powers we hear and we try to understand that, but this is talking about this continuation of a concept in the Old Testament in which God had this. God, God's the king. He's on the throne. You remember the scene in Isaiah when Isaiah is confronted by God. He's, I, see, I see the Lord. He's, he's high and exalted. He's seated on the, the throne. And, and the train of his robe fills the temple with glory. And he's surrounded by this heavenly host. He's surrounded by 
cherubim and seraphim. And there are verses in the Old Testament, specifically a, a few, but one of which comes to mind is Psalm 82, which talks about this, the Elohim or this, this heavenly council that God put into place to kind of keep the world in order until it was finally set right through Jesus. What Paul is doing here is he's using this word in, in Ephesians. He's using the, the word stoichia, which doesn't just mean power. It's referring to that intermediate state of spiritual entities. The spiritual realm. Where the battle's really taking place. It's kind of a cosmic bureaucracy, so to speak, that God uses to create conditions on earth for humanity to flourish. But what's interesting is the way in which this, this spiritual bureaucracy or these, these spiritual entities, this Elohim, is now pitted against us as believers. And they're now creating conditions on earth for human life to be overtaken, to be overthrown, to be backed into the battle. And that's what we face day in and day out. We face that. To understand this a little bit more, a year ago I, I taught on Galatians chapter 4, and it, and it informs us here this morning. Galatians chapter 4, Paul says the same thing. Now to the church in Galatia, he says, what I'm saying is that as long as an heir is underage, he is no different from a slave, although he owns the whole estate. Think about if a parent were to know that they were going to die and they wanted to leave their estate to their children, but the child is a 12-year-old boy. Now I'll use Coulter as an example. If I had this massive estate, which I don't, but if I did, and I wanted to leave it to my heir, my son, Coulter, I'm not going to give him the whole estate at age 12. I mean, what's, what's he going to do? I, mean, I could think of things that I wanted to spend it on at age 12, and it wasn't like things that were good for the kingdom were good for me. I don't know what you'd spend it on now. I mean, maybe, you know, the whole lot on Fortnite. Is Fortnite even a thing anymore? Has it gone down? Call of Duty? We used to play Call of Duty. I, I don't know what it is. It would be easy to blow that, right? And so what Paul says is, is in that situation, there's this guardian or this trustee who's established. So that's to watch out for them until they come of age, until they're a responsible enough person to receive the inheritance that their father wants to give them. And this, we talked about this a year ago, but this responsible person is, is like, a, like a, a combination of a bodyguard and um, a babysitter or a nanny and a school bus driver. They take care of you. They take you to school. They make sure you don't get into trouble. They make sure you don't stray. They make sure that you're on the right path. It then says the heir is subject to these guardians and trustees until the time set forth by the Father. So also, we were underage, we were in slavery under the elemental spiritual forces of the world. It's the same spiritual forces that Paul is talking about in Colossians that he's now referring to in Galatians. That he referred to in Ephesians. We also, when we were underage, we were in slavery under the elemental spiritual forces of the world. So we're going to be looked 
at after by this guardian until we're mature enough not to need, need them. That's what Paul is saying here. This helps us understand this intermediate space. That's why this kind of spiritual battle is taking place. What it's saying is this, that these guardians, these entities that were acting in the world to keep the world in some form of order, not complete chaos. If you look at how the Garden of Eden was structured after, the, after Adam and Eve and the fall, their, their initial order was to keep things, their initial calling was to keep things in order and to have dominion over the garden, God's creation. They felt that they were cast out of Eden or cast into chaos. And so there needed to be someone to keep things from completely imploding. So as people, as Christians, we live in these, under these elemental forces. Or they did in the Old Testament and they provided humans with a sense of meaning. And if you think about it, religion in one sense has been that to humanity for most of our existence. Religion in all of its forms. Whether it's Judaism, whether it's Christianity, whether it's Muslim, the Islamic faith, Hinduism, whatever it might be, Buddhist. It's to keep some sense of order. Religion in a different form provides this sense of ethics or morality for both good and for bad. And it's interesting to me that today we talk about certain sectors of culture almost as if they were a person. We talk about the media. We talk about politics, government, as if they were an entity to themselves. We talk about the 24-hour news cycle how it's affected us over the last 18 months, all of us. You know, if you were to take every person in the media and replace them in one day, do you think the media would change? Might have a different face on it. It's not going to change. Because it's an entity. It's a, it's a power structure. It's a power structure that affects change in culture and society as is politics. We replace the party in Washington, and yet we're not replacing a power structure. It's still there. We replace the players in Hollywood, and yet we're not replacing the power structure. It's still there. Hopefully I don't fall over while I'm up here. Why is it still there? Because the elemental forces are still battling. They're still engaged. Because it's interesting, you can kill your enemy. You can kill your enemy on the battlefield. But you can't kill the spiritual forces. You can't kill the elemental forces. You can't kill the forces that are in control. goes on to say, but when the set time had fully come, God sent His Son, born of a woman under the law, the law being one of the spiritual forces, one of the forces set in place to keep humanity in some sort of order. When the set time had fully come, God sent His Son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those under the law that we might receive adoption to sonship. 
Because you are His sons, God sent the Spirit. He sent the Spirit to us. The Spirit who comes into our hearts. The Spirit who calls out and helps us call out Abba, Father. Because it's about the relationship that we now have with God through Jesus and through the Holy Spirit. God, we're no longer just a child. You're an heir. You're a child of God. You're an heir. But you're also an heir to the kingdom. And that's the beauty of the Gospel. That God sent His Son and the Spirit of His Son into our hearts. And we can have this intimate relationship with the Father, our Heavenly Father, through Jesus. And we're full heirs to the kingdom. We're invited to take the inheritance that's offered us of eternal life, enter into stewardship with God in this world that He created, that He's called us back to take care of as caretakers, and seeing His kingdom come in Spokane as it is in heaven. Right? That's why we exist. But in verse 8, it says something, this is interesting, in what we call post-Christian context, like the culture in which we live today. In, in this verse, he says, formerly when you did not know God, you were slaves to those who by nature are not gods. It's this, this spiritual counsel that's turned against us now. So these elemental forces, these spiritual forces, are, are acting as God, but they're, they're stepping beyond their bounds. They're not God. And that's why people fall for the idolatry of ideology. And we, we get tied up into the left or the right, or we get tied up into this faction or that faction, or we get, we get wrapped up into what is happening around the world because it's as if that is an entity to itself. Have you not noticed that politics has become like a religion lately? that people will talk to you with such fervor about their political beliefs, but they have nothing to say about the God who created the universe and calls us into relationship with Him. And the passion and fervor that was once reserved for religion is now seen even, even in the political arena. It's the, ide it's the idolatry of ideology. And this is not only happening in the United States, it's happening around the world. You, you've come in contact and had relationships with people. You know that this is taking place. And then Paul says, but, but now you that know God, or rather are known by God, how is it that you are turning back to those weak and miserable forces? The ones who were defeated at the cross... And yet we turn back to them through these drawings or these lurings of ideology, of culture, of whatever it might be. We're going to talk about those just in a moment. What Paul is saying to the church in Galatia and what I, I believe Paul is saying to us here this morning is, is, is simply this, that you have Jesus. You don't have to walk with a guardian anymore. It was a heavy yoke. And you get to walk with Jesus and you get the full inheritance as a child of God. Don't fall prey to the lure of the elemental forces. Don't fall prey to these spiritual forces. It's got a left-wing version 
and it's got a right-wing version. It's got a white version and a black version and every other color version. Don't fall prey to the elemental forces who are trying to lure us into believing something other than what God has called us to. Verse 11, I fear for you, Paul says, that somehow I have wasted my efforts on you. This is post-Christianity in the first century. Paul spent his time pouring out his heart, his soul to the Gospel of Jesus Christ, to the church in Ephesus, in Galatia, in Colossae. And he's saying to them, as well as saying to us, I fear for you. I'm afraid for you, church. I'm afraid for you, people of River's Edge in Spokane. Which brings us to our verse this morning. Colossians. So I'm going to move back a little bit to verse 13. It says in verse 13, when you were dead in your sins and in the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made you alive with Christ. Praise Jesus, right? We're alive with Christ. He forgives us all of our sins. And having canceled the charge of our legal indebtedness which stood against us and condemned us, He has taken it away and nailed it to the cross. That's the glory of the cross. That's, the glory, that's where the victory was won. That's where the, the victory where we could say, God, you, you reinstalled your plan. So here, even in this verse, we see the, the background. We were dead in our sins individually. And we see the foreground. We are alive in Christ. We have the Holy Spirit. We are joint heirs to the kingdom. But we also get insight into this middle ground, this intermediate state in which we find ourselves today. And that's in the next verse, verse 15, which is our focus this morning, which I'll end with here. And having disarmed the powers and authorities, he made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them by the cross. So what did he do at the cross? He disarmed the powers and authorities. God has disarmed the thing that enslaves us. He disarmed it by the cross. So how do they operate in the world today? They're not gone. God, Christ hasn't returned. We're not in the, the new heaven and the new earth. They're still engaging against us. So how do they operate in the world today? What does this look like? Let's back up to Colossians 2, verse 8. Get a little more insight. See to it that no one takes you captive through what? Through hollow and deceptive philosophy. I think Matt talked about this last week. Hollow and deceptive philosophy, which depends on human tradition and the elemental spiritual forces of this world rather than on Christ. So post-cross, Paul is talking to the church in Colossae and saying, see to it that you don't get sidetracked. Yes, they were disarmed. In fact, it says he made a public spectacle of them. How many of you have been involved in sports? How many of you have been involved in a match or a game in which you made a public spectacle of your opponent? Okay? Yeah. It's not a bad thing. We go to win. We used to call it a beatdown, right? 
And that's what Jesus did at the cross. He disarmed them. He made a public spectacle of them. So these elemental forces have been defeated and disarmed, but they can only engage in warfare. They can only engage in the war through these hollow and deceptive practices. And I would say today, that's disinformation. It's fake news. It's a real thing. Churches, Christians, people across the Western world, the biggest challenge I believe we face today, right now, in the battle that we are waging against these spiritual forces that, yes, have been defeated, but they don't know they've been defeated. They're like a burr in your saddle if you ride horses. At some point, the horse is going to buck you off. The biggest challenge we face today is that we're being taken captive by hollow and deceptive practices. Since 1989, I mean, we, we, we know warfare. I, I would say most of us in this room see warfare through the lens of the Second World War, the biggest world war that we probably have faced, certainly in the last hundred years. So you have the Allied forces and you have the Axis forces. And they were waged in this battle. And they had different theaters and different campaigns going. And they were fighting in, in, in Africa and they're fighting in, in, in Europe. And we're fighting the Allied forces through, through Japan and the Pacific. And at one point in the war, you look and you think one side, the, the table's turning to one side, and at the other, and you know, a, a month or two later, the, 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 the pendulum has swung a little bit the other way. But for about four years, it was back and forth. In fact, until the United States jumped in, and I'm not we're not taking credit for the Second World War victory, but until the United States jumped in, it looked like the, Allied for the, the Axis forces were going to overtake Europe. We see it through that lens. We see this warfare through these big, giant armies battling against each other and moving around. But since the fall of 1989, the drop of the Berlin Wall, the collapse of the USSR, We've lived in a mostly unipolar world. One, one dominant geopolitical figure, that's the United States. We're slowly moving towards a bipolar situation with China and the, the increase in their economic power. What we talked about a little bit. So why the G7 met this week to talk about what they're going to do against this Belt Road, Road initiative that China's trying to continue to move forward. So we're probably moving towards this bipolar geopolitical comp uh, components between the United States and, and China. GDPs are almost equal right now. But since the fall of 1989 and the Berlin Wall, and we've been in this unipolar situation, other countries and other entities have realized that they can't wage war against the United States in traditional sense. Nobody's going to come... Red Dawn's not real. Nobody's going to come and, and drop a bunch of parachute people and take over the United States. And so what they've done is they have changed their warfare tactics, tactics to what is called like a disinformation war, a dirty war. And they use predominantly the internet since 2005. 
Now, Nick could probably come up and talk to us all about what the, the iPhone has done to the, the, the global economy since 2005, since he works for Apple. I'm just going to talk a little bit about what I know and share a few insights. Because Russia, China, the Middle East have all, they all right now have active disinformation campaigns against us in the United States, in the West, if you want to call it that. With Twitter and Instagram and Facebook being the primary battlegrounds. We saw this in the recent 2020 election. We have seen this in what's happened in COVID in the last 18 months, where these, these cycles, these news cycles will come in and do one thing. They will try to incite fear among people. It's disinformation for, for a specific purpose. One is for political gain or economic gain. And the other is that if the biggest global economy in the world is in chaos, it's easier to snatch pieces of the pie. That's what it's about. I don't know, I did a little research, but there are troll farms. I, I thought trolls were something either in J.R.R. Tolkien's books on The Hobbit or, you know, Billy Groats, Goat's Gruff with the troll that jumped out underneath the bridge. But I'm talking about trolls in the sense of they troll for information on the internet. And there are massive troll farms in Russia and in the Middle East, documented troll farms right now, that send computer bots into situations, specifically Twitter and Facebook and Instagram, to control the narrative that we're hearing. Matt's talked about this. He's talked about you know, dumbing, dumbing ourselves down to social media and all of that. And, and I understand that more before, more from, a con from the context of just what am I spending my time doing. Now I'm starting to see that there's this huge disinformation campaign that's been waged against us, that's been waged against you, all of you. And the reason this is important, because I think it applies to us here today, just like what it applied to Paul in the church in Colossae in, two, in, the, in the first century, it applies to us here in Spokane in 2021. So a few takeaways, and then I'm going I'm to wrap things up this morning. And the first takeaway is this. These elemental spiritual forces are actually doing their work, or they're, they're, in the, they're, 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 they're waging this campaign of disinformation. They're really doing this. What they want us to do, they want to trick us into believing that we're in peacetime. That everything's okay. That, that this is not a spiritual war. It's just more information. It's just, I'm going to enlighten you to how you should really think. It's just how I'm going to enlighten you to what you should really be doing with your time. So drink the coffee. Enjoy the sunshine today. Plan your next gathering in the park. Because we look at the world often through the lens of our little 3-inch by 6-inch computer called an iPhone or if you're a purist, a Samsung, or whatever the other version is. You're welcome. To look at the world through the eyes. They want us to look at the world through the eyes of a civilian rather than as a soldier. Right? 
as a consumer rather than someone who's in combat. And I, I, we need to realize that we're under orders and we need to start thinking like soldiers. The, the second thing is this, that these, these disinformation, this disinformation campaign of the elemental forces will want us to realize who, they, they want us to realize who, who we, they don't want us to realize who we really are. That we're a child of God, that we're redeemed by the cross, that we're empowered by the Holy Spirit, that we are called into battle, into this spiritual battle, and it's for right here and right now. It's a battle for fatherhood. It's a battle for motherhood. It's a battle for schools. It's a battle for commerce. It's a battle for who we are and our identity, how we're going to identify ourselves. It's a battleground. And they don't want us to believe that. We need to know who we really are. We're redeemed by Jesus Christ. We are, we are children of the living God. We are joint heirs to the kingdom. We have everything. And yet sometimes, and myself included, we act like we have nothing and no control because we let things move us. To understand that our truest identity is as a child of God created in His image, given dominion to be a steward of the world, to, to be a carrier of His presence. And the God who created the humpback well and the Amazon rainforest, who created the Andromeda galaxy, is calling you and you and you to be a partner in His kingdom advancing. God is choosing to bring heaven and earth together and He's asking us to be in on that. To discover who we are in God. To realize that we're under orders and to start acting like it. In our conversations. In what we look at. In who we engage with. In what we spend our resources on. And what our time with. Third, we need, we need to get to know our city through God's eyes. Spokane has changed in the 15 years that we have lived here. There's a greater homeless population than there ever was before. You go downtown, it, they're all over. And yet God sees people as opportunities to redeem them into the kingdom of God. And we need to start seeing our city through His eyes, not through the eyes of the lenses of the people who are trying to move us this way or that way. And that's Spokane, and that's Seattle, and that's Portland, and that's Los Angeles, and that's every city around the world as well. That's what we're called to do and who we're called to be. Fourth, we need to know what time it is. It's time to act. It's time to get engaged. These disinformation this disinformation campaign that is, is forcing us into thinking, thinking that we don't know what's going on. They want us to be in the dark. They want us to not know what time it is. You are engaged right now here today in a battle for the kingdom. You are engaged in a battle for the kingdom of God coming in Spokane as it is in heaven. You have to engage. We have to engage. 
Number five, this disinformation campaign will try to stop us from hearing the song that God is singing over us. Calling us to be our true self. To be children of God. To be empowered by His presence. Because all the other noise that is out there, all of the stuff that takes up our time and grabs our attention is pulling us away from hearing God's Spirit say, well done, my good and faithful son. My good and faithful daughter. Well done. I have plans for you that you don't even realize right now. And we need to hear that song. And we need to be asked asking God to open our ears and our eyes to what He wants for us in that song. And six and last, <clears throat> we need to understand that the, this disinformation campaign will try to trick us into believing that our worship is powerless and ineffective. That Christians, you have no voice. You're old, you're antiquated. You're the old way of thinking. You gotta be progressive. You gotta look this way. You gotta think this way. You gotta act this way. You gotta talk this way. You have no power. But when we come together as a gathered church, just like it was 2,000 years ago, when we come together and the Holy Spirit is here by His presence and we are empowered by Him to go out this week into the world into our workplaces, into the places that we raise our children, into the relationships that we have. When we go out empowered by the Holy Spirit, there's nothing that can stand against us. And when we come together, we're not just doing church. We're not just participating in a bunch of religious acts. I don't stand up here and talk about the Bible for no reason. We're not singing songs together for no reason, we are singing together. We are bringing into reality the new heavens and the new earth. It's a kingdom reality. It allows the whole of our lives to be worship, as it talks about in Romans 12.1. My buddy Bob, I've walked life with him for 40 years now. He's up visiting this weekend. Totally blessed by his, his friendship and his presence. We met in college. We've been fast friends for 40 years. Four decades. As long as Moses wandered in the desert, I've known Bob. Now he would probably say there's been times that it felt like he was wandering in the desert walking by me. But we're called into relationship in the kingdom. We're called to be a part of what God is doing. And worship as we gather, as we pray, as we thank Him, as we sing a new song, and when we're singing that song, we are putting the world in its right order. Why is that? Because worship is warfare. And when you pray, when you lay hands on someone, when you think of others before yourself, when you, when you lift up your voice to the living God, when you read the Word of God, that's warfare in the battle that we're engaged in right now. It's the greatest and strongest warfare plan that could ever have been imagined. And it's as simple as 
gathering together and opening up the Word and praying to the living God, the Creator and Sustainer of the universe to say, make things right again. Bring it back into order. When we gather and worship, it's like the Air Force being called in to provide air support for the ground battle. To give you a kind of a vivid picture of what's going on. We're doing that together today, right here, right now. We're engaging in this warfare. We are engaged in it as soldiers. We are engaged in it as people called into the kingdom of God advancing against these spiritual powers and authorities who have been disarmed, who have been disengaged, who have been made a public spectacle of. They just don't know it. Friends, it's time to engage. I want you to be informed. I want you to open your eyes. I want you to open the eyes of your ears and your heart and and what you're looking at and what you're doing to know what time it is, to know what we are called to in the kingdom, that the kingdom is advancing. And each one of us here today is called into action. Let's pray.